Hi, I'm Nolan Peterson, CEO and President of World Copper Limited, a Vancouver-based junior mining company with assets in Chile and Arizona. Happy to be here today to discuss our projects Escalonis and Zonia, which are our two premier assets, both at a PEA stage, both with 43101 studies backing them. Uh, today, I also have a colleague of mine, John Drobe, who's our chief geologist, leads our exploration efforts on both of the projects and our other assets in the company. Nolan, thank you. Thank you very much for the introduction. Um, good to have you on this show, um, or this show, this interview, this talk, whatever whatever we call it. Um, John, nice to meet you as well. Nolan, I think in one of your previous interviews, um, you you kind of you dropped the comment that no one had heard of um, World Copper, or many people hadn't heard of um, World Copper, and I'm afraid to say that I'm one of those people. Mm -hmm. So in researching this and looking at the assets you've got and kind of seeing what, what you've done in the last couple of years and your listing in the last 12 months, it's been um, an eye-opener. And so I look forward to learning more about your company in the next uh, half an hour or so. Yeah, great. And that's what we're here for, to get the message out and to build awareness. And every new person that hears about us is a great thing. Good. So let's, let's, let's get um, straight into it. You've got two assets. Well, you've got three yeah. assets. You, you've got, um, you're operating in two countries. You're operating in Chile and you're operating in um, uh, the US. And you've got the Zonia project in, in Arizona, um, where it's summer now, or coming into summer, coming out of winter into spring and summer. And you've got the Chilean assets in the mountains. You've got one up on the border of Peru, but your main asset at Escalonas. Um, it's at a height of around 3,700 meters. I've That's managed right. to... To, to see in your corporate deck. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've also just seen that you're just about to start drilling there and you've just put out a, um, a pretty punchy PA on it. So um, I think for the benefit of viewers, could you just summarize the work that's been done on Escalones and what's yes. going to be happening in the next? Uh, well, well, first of all, we'll look backwards and see where we've got to. Yeah, no, absolutely. You, you know, what you mentioned earlier is how young a company we are, but nonetheless, the news flow has been very impressive the work we've done over the last year. So we picked up the Escalonis project as a private company. This was before I joined the company. It was a spinoff of another company called Wealth Minerals. And then we did an RTO listing last January, 2021, and that created World Copper as a public entity. Since that time, we've done a tremendous amount of work on the Escalonis property. The first part was, a, was metallurgical test work to change the understanding of the resource from a sulfide operation to, a, to an oxide resource that would allow an SXEW oxide heap leach project. And then as you, as you said, we then put out a preliminary economic assessment in February that was quite impressive, $1.5 billion post-tax at 360 copper with a 46.2% internal rate of return. Now, what we mentioned was how young this company is only publicly traded for a year. How many people have heard of this story to release that type of news with such explosive numbers has created a little bit of excitement in the market. And now we are trying to capitalize on that and build awareness. In the meantime, while we were doing all of that with Escalonis, we also completed a merger with a company called Cardale Resources to bring in the Zonia asset in Arizona. This is a brownfield SXEW oxide heap leach copper porphyry project in Arizona, another attractive mining jurisdiction that we believe can be fast-tracked to production in a three to four year timeframe 
and start generating impressive cash flows immediately. So we're, we've only had that project in the portfolio for the last two months completely. And it gives us an option to continue to advance Escalonis, which we're doing right now. As you mentioned, we've started a drill program as of a month ago. That's on, ongoing right now. Myself and John have both visited the site recently. And as the season ends in Chile, we'll have this option to move to Zonia, restart our understanding of that deposit, update the PEA that was prepared in 2018 for that asset and, you know, basically do an assessment and lead it into a fast track FS next year. So yes, it's a very exciting time at World Copper. We've done a lot of work and there's a lot behind us, but even more ahead of us. My goodness, there's a lot to unpack in there. Th- thank yeah. you. Um, that was, that was quite, a, quite, a, quite a, um, a deluge of information. Yes. Um, I, I, I will come on to Zonia. Um, mm-hmm. um, and we'll talk about that, but let's, let's going back to Escalonas. Okay, so uh, you, the last drilling, I mean, in your presentation, you said that the last drilling was 2012, 2013, 9,000 meters or so was drilled in that time then, which is getting on for 10 years uh, ago. Yeah. Um, and you've, you've resubmitted for metallurgical test work, but you haven't done any new drilling. So were you, are you able to access the core and what's the quality of the database like? And can you cross-reference the samples with the certificates to the, oh. to the, to, to the core? You know, what's, what's the status of the information that um, you've got access to? I mean, perhaps this is one for John. Yes, we have access to all the core that was drilled uh, since 2000, uh, since 1999, basically. Uh, we looked, we have, we had it all, it was all photographed, about half of it was photographed and we took over the project and then we re-photographed the first uh, 10 years or the first, yeah, the, the 1999 to about 2009 stuff was uh, had to be rephotographed, so we did that, and then it's all in, in a in a core warehouse down near the site. And from that, were you able to then reassess the kind of the base of oxidation and the transition? That's what it was done. Yeah, basically, when we took over the project, we 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 slowly got the data up from from the from Chile. At the time, we couldn't travel down there, and, uh, and that's when I started looking through the core photos and realized that again, about a third of them were missing. So we had those redone. And then as, as they as they were sent up, I just went through hole by hole, looking at every photo, uh, uh, correlating it with what we had in the assay data and the logging data, and then realized that the entire deposit, you know, the bulk of it anyways, uh, was was oxidized. I had just come off a project that I worked on for a couple of years down in Peru, in the kind of not mm-hmm. too, the same belt, more or less. And uh, it was shocking how similar the uh, what I was seeing in the, in the core photos was to Escalone. So it was, it was, there were no surprises, basically, when uh, when a uh, when I then took the uh, the samples, I pulled a after reviewing all the core photos. Then I pulled intervals off in two batches, uh, down to three hundred meters. Anything over 0.1 percent copper was sent for sequential leach uh, analysis, and and um, that just that confirmed what I was seeing visually that that indeed you know the the upper portions of holes were like over ninety percent acid soluble, and then they and then it transitioned down to more secondary copper, and you know uh, averaged over seventy percent. Uh, leachable copper basically and when you say secondary are you you do you mean chalcosite so are you starting in kind of a malachite covalite zone i mean um actually covalite is a secondary as well isn't it so so what are your what what are your, what's your mineral suite and from the kind of from the top down what can you see the, it visually you can see it quite visually in the core yeah it, it, you can't see the chalcosite of course and that's one thing that they didn't they didn't log that well either that was one of the, the things that was kind of in a very it was very hard to tease out the chalcosite data in their logging it was in there, but they never plotted on any of their sections or anything. It was kind of odd. They they realized it was it was enriched down to three hundred meters, but they never really did anything with it. They did though some of their metallurgical samples. They did they did do some some oxide rolls and stuff, but they were really focused on getting out the uh, the gold, silver, and uh, 
and the and, and the and the you know just the, the the primary copper is what their metallurgy was focused on. But going back to what what you see from the surface down, the the primary green copper oxide is chrysocolla, and then you have mm-hmm. like the black copper oxides like tenorite. And mm-hmm. uh, there's not that much malachite in it. The concern that the, in the scarn you see malachite for sure, but there's surprisingly little considering that it is a scarn. Uh, most scar, you see malachite right at surface and some azurite. If you go in some of the, let's say the upper working, there's one added that goes in the mountain and in the upper scar and magnetite garnet scar, you see it, but not that much in the drill core. You see azurite right at the base of the oxides where it transitions to secondary, more of a yep. true enrichment zone. So yep. primarily, you know, 80% of the oxidized copper mineral is a mixture of chrysocolla um, and then, you know, the brown kind of copper oxides and, uh, and, and then just sooty calcocyte. You say you talk about the base of oxygenation down to 300 meters. Is there a kind of a, a, a kind of a supergene blanket, which is kind of higher grade in that 200 to 300 meters, or is it kind of not quite on the base of oxidation? It's, yeah, that, that, so that upper 300 meters has been enriched from the primary grades. The holes that they drilled, Trimetals did several deep holes going down 7,800 meters. And you can see that the primary, the primary grades are more around 0.1 to 0.15, maybe up to okay. 0.2, with some higher grade intervals for sure inside there. This is just the porphyry level, right? The scar is a different story altogether. But and uh, so that's been enriched two or three times to get to the grades we see in that upper 300 meters. So it's uh, and that's kind of a carapace. It's just an active supergene blanket. It's it's not an old one that's been eroded down into. It's actually it's at 300 meters. It gets a little thinner on the limbs of the mm-hmm. of the ridge, but under the main under the main crest of the ridge is 300 meters down. And it, it maintains that, uh, you know, pretty consistently all the way down to even where we're drilling now, so. And does the mineralogy get fruity in the scarn zones off the, off the edges, kind of on, on, the, on, the, on the halo? Or is it because this, it's, in a, because it's a, in a um, supergene feature, is it a relatively simple mineralogy, even though it's on top of a scarn feature? It is, yeah, it is still a pretty simple mineralogy. It's, it's surprising there aren't any uh, zinc sulfides. You don't see any salarate or any that kind of sweet that you'd normally see in a, in a scarn zone. It's all copper minerals, basically. So it's the only thing I've really seen for sure that I could, is calcopyrite in the, in the, in the scarn portion of it. Um, the scarn really only exists in the very top of the ridge. It forms that high standing uh, kind of uh, ridge at the very top above what we call the meseta, which is a blanket of till that's kind of, you know, topographic inversion at the very top. And then it goes down the east side. And as you go further east along, it, tr- it transitions from a garnet magnetite scar and it gets into kind of a colder mineralogy and just more of a calc silicate and then into almost like a sediment hosted deposit down there. So down, so down at the, on the flank where we'll be drilling shortly, it's, um, it's, it's sandstone hosted copper. Basically, it's mostly it's, it's copper oxides and some crystal cold and stuff. And disseminated should, I put up a, should I put up yeah, an yeah. image, gentlemen? Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah the, you've, you've got one slide, I think, with the whole 35 going across it, which has got 68 meters at 0.6 or something. Um, 70 meters. There we go. 70 meters, 71 meters at 0.6% copper. So that, that is, is that what you're saying? That those... Um, yeah. The, 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 okay, the next slide up, Nolan, is even better, I think. If you go, uh, this one here, this cross section, that's kind of a okay. schematic section. This shows everything in a, in a, so that, so what I was talking about, just now that east side of the thing, that east flank where it goes down. So in a nutshell, what this is, is it's, it's an anticline of sediments, of, of sandstone transitioning up into, into carbonates, into limestone, and an intrusion has come up and, and core the center of that anticline. Okay. The best scarns are above that on the east side. On the west side, it's more complicated. So if there is some scarn, but it's, 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 it's more just associated with the dikes and stuff. It doesn't, you don't get the broad scarnification you do as on the upper and east side of it. Okay. And um, when you, 
Um, for the resource that you put in your pit, I didn't see that in your presentation. So, but is it basically the bottom of the pit goes down to the base of that oxidation and then, and then across? Exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, Nolan, perhaps with your mouse, can you, on, 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 the, on, the, the, on the 3D image, the one on the left, can you kind of yep. just outline, outline the kind of where the pit, you think come just from memory where, where the pit goes? It'd be right there. Okay. Do you see that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Nolan, I could, I could, in a sense, I could, I could tell that you'd done a, um, a CFA and an MBA when you gave, when you put your presentation together. Could you just drop the, 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 the image, please, for a second? Because your presentation is full with fantastic figures and comparable stuff, but it doesn't go yeah. back to the kind of the, the basics that I was kind of tons and grade that I'm quite mm -hmm. interested in. Do you, off the top of your head, um, either of you remember the tons and grade and the kind of the, the, the gold component of your overall resource? John would know that. Gold? We have an older side. We don't keep the gold in here anymore because it's all oxide, basically. We, there's no way to recover it in our current Okay, so, 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 so when you talk about a grade of 0.37% copper, that's just copper? Correct. Yes. No, no equivalency. Yeah. Okay, no equivalency. Okay, that's 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 helpful. And um, how many tons of the stuff have you got? So we've got four twenty six in terms of resource, and then yeah. in the mine plan, three sixty five is t is mined. Okay. Of okay. well, of leached material. Sorry. So three three hundred sixty five at the average grade goes goes through that that. Correct. And have you got kind of high grade portions that you put through in the first couple of years or so that? That's right. Yes. The, the overall grade, so the resource is 426 million tons at 0.37%. The yeah. mine plan PEA is 365 million tons at 0.38%. And the first five years of that is at 0.49%. So it's a very impressive high grade oxide operation at 50,000 tons per day processing for the first five years. Okay. And when you talk about 52,000 tons of copper per annum, presumably yes. it's more, it's more front loaded than that. So you'll get a higher tons out the front. That's right. Yes. It'd be somewhere 56, 58 in the first few years. Okay. And how much metallurgical test work were you able to do prior to this PA? I mean, how many holes, you know, are, are you, um, Nolan, with your kind of um, project engineering background, you're probably going to be the most sensitive to this, making sure that the geologists have got their thinking caps on. Um, yeah. You've got a metal, you're a mineral processor. I'm a metallurgist. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So in terms of metallurgy, we have done the sequential leach test to confirm that the metallurgy is amenable to heap leaching. We have not done bottle roll testing or column leach testing yet, which are important uh, to fully understand the resource. But our, geo, our metallurgist for the PEA used conservative recovery uh, estimates and time uh, and also acid consumption to generate the PEA numbers that went into the economic model. Have you got any um, acid consuming minerals in the mix? I mean, have, um, you talked about yeah. sediments, yes. you know, have, have you got any carbonates in there? Uh, there are some, John, maybe you can elaborate, but uh, there are not anything, there's nothing here that is you know, extremely acid consuming, at least from what we've understood so far with our, from what our metallurgist has seen. John, do you have any thoughts on that as well? Yeah. The, um, again, about, it's gotta be about, I think we 75 to 80% of the resource is within intrusive rocks. Um, originally some of these rocks were misidentified as a hornfell sandstone rocks, but they're actually, and this is one of the things I just determined from my trip a few days ago that 
the whole west flank, which had previously been mapped as a as you know as as hornfell, so calcareous rocks that have been altered by the intrusion, they're not. It's a fine diorite. It's mostly diorite hosted. So because it just didn't make sense that we were getting you know pretty good, very reasonable low acid consumption from the center of the deposit up to the west and to the south, and uh, I couldn't really reconcile that with the fact that it should have been like a calcareous host and stuff, but it in fact isn't. It's a diorite. The scar that sits on top, what you see in the field is that the, uh, the there's some pods of limestone that are left behind, but the mineralization transitions really quickly um, into the scar. And so you don't get a lot of, of lime making its way into the garnet and magnetite scar. And it, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty sharp transition. The blocks of limestone, it's a very fine grain, tight limestone. So it's not that permeable. So the, the fluids either either altered it completely or they didn't even get into it. It's very tight contacts up there. The um, So in terms of acid consumption, the carbonate's actually not that big a component. What we have to watch out for more is the magnetite and some of the garnet. So magnetite can consume quite a bit of acid too. Um, but again, fortunately, a lot of the, I've seen scarns where a lot of the, the, uh, the mineralization is actually disseminated within the magnetite and garnet, but it's not the case here. The, the, the calcopyrite in the scar is more kind of a, it forms more uh, coarse mineralization stuff at the contacts, almost like an endoscarn within the intrusions. So uh, I think that's why we're seeing better acid consumption numbers than, than originally expected. And, and presumably you've got not that much copper sitting in the scarns. I mean, if, if, you've, if, you're, if it's principally the calcopyrite in the, in the scarns, presumably you've got a relatively small proportion of the total copper is actually kind of scarn related or garnet magnetite related. It is. Yeah, it's just, the scarn's higher grade, but just not biometrically, it's not that significant. It's such a large, it's just a huge deposit, it's like a kilometer across just the intrusive thing and a kilometer. Mm. So yeah, so volumetrically, it's not that big a deal. But ideally, the nice thing about the scarn is it's at the very top. So the first couple of years of the production is right off the top of the ridge, basically zero strip. All the best grades are right at the top. So the scarn is as, as fortuitous as it could be. Yeah. That's one of the and things that attracted me to this project to begin with is that you don't see many projects like this. We have a the highest grade sitting right at the top of a ridge. And, and you know, it just, it just as good as it gets technically, really. Yeah. I mean, that's why we see such a high uh, grade, high grade option for the first five years. It's quite impressive, right? 25% higher than the average. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's nice. Um, but as, as you said, you're going to be wanting to be able to control the, the um, a portion there, make sure you don't get too much magnetite and the, and the, and the garnet in there, because that will, um, that's correct. Consume yeah. a bit more acid, but that's something you'll be able to work out with time. It's yeah. not a deal. It's not a deal breaker. Exactly. Um, what I going to ask, um, oh, I mean, I know you're going to be doing column tests coming up, but um, have you thought about what your front end of the process is going to look like in terms of um, might you be able to whack a magnet in some kind of agglomeration drum and just pull out some, I, I don't know how fine you're going to be crushing it or, you know, what, what you've thought on what your size fraction analysis has done, whether you've done one stage crushing, two stage crushing. Have, have you thought about the front end of the process before you put stuff on the leech pad? So right now it's a, just a standard conventional run of the mill, uh, <laughs> pardon the pun, heap leach project. So it's going to be, I think one stage, I can't remember exactly if it's one or two stage crushing straight onto a heap leach pad. No, nothing beyond that at the moment. Uh, but that, of course, is an option for future work as we further engineer this, uh, the project. You know, we have the first thing we do is put out a demonstration of the potential value of the asset. And then we work our butts off over the next few years, figuring out the right size, the right components, the right technologies to use, 
there's a lot of room involved in that. I did that for most of my career before I moved into the finance side of, of the industry. Uh, so very experienced with that and, and know what the type of activities that will have to be done. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. And yes, it is. It is all, the, all that technical work, all those hard yards, getting the engineering right and the, and, and the assumptions right. Um, I will come on to that because there's a question on assumptions, which I like. But um, first of all, on geological exploration, the potential of the area, um, you've got the La Mancha Amarilla, which means kind of the yellow stain bit, um, which you say is only half drilled. Is that a function of um, access because it looked pretty rugged topography or just geological appetite, exploration well, maybe, appetite? Maybe I pull up this map again here. Yeah, please. Of the overall site. So... And John can talk about this in a second. 25,000 meters of drilling in this orange circle here. That's the main resort, the Meseta. And then, yes, immediately to the south of that is the Mancha Amaria, which we're in the process of drilling right now. As you mentioned, when I say half drilled, we speak of the overall, what we believe is the overall deposit, with the Meseta being one half, drilled and understood to an extent to date. And then if we prove the mineralogy continues and it's the same type of mineralogy, then at least at a geological level and a scientific level, we'll have a good understanding and belief that this is a resource that's only been half drilled, has the potential to double in size. Of course, we would need further drill work to understand that to a economic level for a resource statement, um, but we understand that as well. And then John, maybe you could elaborate on that and talk about the rest of the drill potential of the property that we're currently exploring as well through surface sample work. Sure, yeah, The uh, so the Mancha Maria, it, was, it, it hadn't been drilled for two reasons. One basically is just logistics, time constraints. This deposit was initially uh, targeted as a scarn. So the first 10 holes are basically just drilling the scarn. And then towards the end of that program, they kind of realized, hey, there's some porphyry-like mineralization sticking out the sides of this month of this uh, Maseta area, the thick till-covered area plateau at the top. So they, then they started, they put one tentative hole, their last hole, that first program in that, realized they had porphyry mineralization. And so when they came back, then they just started drilling that off. Now, it's a big area. It's, over, it's a kilometer across, right? And so it, it took them the next two campaigns just to drill that off at 200-meter base uh, space centers. And uh, it's just a question. And they had like four drill rigs going at the time. That's that one photo that we have in the presentation. So they, they hit it pretty mm. hard. And they, you, know, you can't fault them for their efforts and how they were going. They just didn't get to the Munch Amaria. It, it is a very steep, rugged area. We had a hell of yep. a time getting in there just to sample it. They, um, and so I think they would have eventually got to there. But they just they drilled the best stuff first, the most obvious stuff first. And you can't fault them for doing that. And the, the drilling, the, are they, are they, are they um, a lot of vertical holes or are they um, inclined holes? What's the kind of the preferred orientation here? Uh, it's a, in the sky, and they're all over the place. There's hardly, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a single vertical hole in this deposit. They're all inclined, sixty to seventy, and some fifty degree holes in the in the sky as they're trying to get across Larry and stuff. So yeah, they didn't, they didn't uh, just uh, do a, a, a. The only the, we're drilling vertical holes right now as we're drilling down the spine of the Mancha Maria, because we're just trying to get across to see that, you know, because the, 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 as you can see in the sections, the primary uh, stratification is deposit is horizontal because of that enrichment. So we're just drilling vertical mm -hmm. holes straight down. I just want to see how, how uh, test the depth of that uh, enrichment zone below the, the ridge crest. And um, you've, you've said that you've got a kind of a program which has started recently. You've got a, um, uh, the winter's coming in. How much of that area are you going to be able to, or how many meters, how many holes, you know, what's the plan for that area? And will you continue it next year? 
Yeah, we're, we're, we planned about 2,100 meters of drilling for the Mancha Maria itself, and then a, about another 1,000 meters on the, on the southeast Scarn zone, on the, on the northeast side of that. So we'll, we're, we're doing okay. We've got two, real, <clears throat> sorry, two rigs up there now, and uh, it's, it, you know, it's a little bit of a slow start, but now they're catching up. And, and uh, so we'll have that uh, Mancha Maria drilled as we expected, as planned, I think, before the snow flies. Yeah. Last year, it started snowing, I think, in August. So it was a very long, could have been a long drill season. We obviously hope for that to continue. We'll drill as, as much as we can uh, before we are pushed out. And, you know, the good, good chance that we'll get it all done as expected and uh, avoid remobbing next year or later this year. Okay, good. And those distal targets up in the north, what, what are, are those dashed lines based on? Yeah, John? The dash originally color anomalies, and then we flew some Aster, which is satellite spectrography that uh, went in there and and, uh, and, and just confirmed the, the color anomalies. There have been prior companies back in 1999, even TriMetals went in there and did some reconnaissance sampling. So we knew there was there's copper mineralization in there. Uh, and the best target is this top center one, the middle one, Rio Negro. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, a confirmed porphyry center there. The east one is called Largages Este. That was a more complicated. It's a very large body. Funny alteration. We haven't got our heads around exactly what that is. It could be a, a kind of a deeper, the, the upper levels of a deeper uh, porphyry system. And then the western one, uh, the, the kind of the southwestern one, that's a, a very large scarn target, but super rugged, super hard to get into. Our guys only managed to kind of skirt around the base of it and collect some samples every few hundred meters along the, around the base of it. Um, you know, some scattered skarmish mineralization, uh, but a difficult target. So right now we're concentrating. This year we, we went back to Rio Negro and collected a whole bunch more chip samples, which are just uh, about two thirds of the results are back on those. So we're still compiling that data. And then I got in there finally uh, just the last week to kind of confirm everything and, and kind of map it out. Tech was in there too in, the, in 2015 and did a one IP line and, uh, and collected uh, some reconnaissance samples too. So we have their data. And uh, uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be, uh, we're, we're, that's what we're um, currently permitting for drilling. Is, is the, the, the super gene target in the bottom there in green? Rio Negro, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, Rio no, Negro no, up in the north. Oh, this will be our next, this will be our next permit right application. Yeah. Okay, great. Really interesting. Really interesting. I mean, uh, I, I'm so old, I studied at a time when um, the cutoff grade on your copper project was going to be 0.4%. <laughs> Um, and here we are talking about an economic uh, oxide at 0.38 or 0.37. I mean, it's it's <laughs> yeah. The world the world has changed. No, I was I was speaking with um, uh, well, I I know that the Glencore asset Lomas Bias is an, a copper oxide project in Chile, uh, in operations right now. And its tonnage uh, resource is under 400 million tons, and it's grading at 0.27%. So that is, you know, economics of oxides are very different than sulfides, but absolutely correct. You know, when we start to get lower, it's a, it's kind of, you know, makes a lot of people think, wow, the world has changed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you feel the kind of the, the chilly overlay, the kind of the politics and kind of the, the, the lack of clarity, perhaps, on the kind of final tax rates and royalties is clouding your uh, your hearing in the market? Are people just saying, oh, we'll wait a bit until we know more? I, I do get that message a lot. 
uh, from some, well, no, I wouldn't say a lot, but some investors do have those concerns. Um, you know, when you look really closely at it, I would say, first of all, the concerns are probably a little bit overblown. Um, but, you know, we don't hear a lot of news out of Chile. Most people aren't tied in and keyed into what the government is doing down there. They get snippets of policies that come out and it, you know, without context, it's hard to understand. So, but absolutely there is some sort of overhang from that. I do look at other peer companies though. And I do say, you know, we're all operating in Chile and I look at, you know, how they're performing and the messaging that they're having to deal with and largely they're unaffected by it. So it's either, you know, when there is perceived risk, maybe people are going to the, the larger, more well-known junior exploration companies in South America and Chile, or, you know, the market's already priced in the risk uh, and it's just not a, a concern for them, uh, largely speaking. Um, but yeah, nobody has come to me directly and said, you know, I'll never invest in Chile or anything of that nature. Generally, I soothe them over a little bit. Um, and we'll start to see that as I think what's important is that the government just took power about a month ago. And before mm. that, the messaging was largely being taken, uh, was being led by disparate groups, uncoordinated, who kind of seized the microphone while the government was in transition. I don't even know the pr previous president's name because he, he or she basically didn't do much uh, or in terms of messaging or anything for six months waiting for a new government to take over. So when I was in Chile two weeks ago for Sesco, the mining minister addressed the conference three times uh, for the first time, uh, gave three different speeches that kind of started to reassure the industry that mining is here to stay and the government is going to be working with mining and seeking investment opportunities. Good. Well, thank you for the um, reassuring message. It's always good to get the latest from the from the street, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I noticed about your uh, PEA was that you put in a Monte Carlo analysis, Mon yes. Monte, Carlo, Monte Carlo simulation. Um, ha has that been well received? Uh, some people have come to me and said, this is really nice to see. You know, I, you know, MBA, CFA, as well as a technical background, I had to put a little bit of my own flavor in there. And I thought it would be useful to do uh, a Monte Carlo dynamic sensitivity uh, beyond just the static sensitivity. So some people did appreciate it. Many analysts did. So this is a nice touch. Uh, that's my own signature on, on the project and, uh, you know, the press release too. And a good well, I, information to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I um, really like it as well. I Back in the day, I did a master's in deposit, technical and financial evaluation of mineral deposits and involved doing quite a lot of work on Monte Carlo simulation um, yeah. and, and analysis. And it's really good to see that your range is in there. I like the fact that you put in the, um, as the CAPEX and OPEX parameters as a plus 65% and a plus, what was it, 135%. You know, you, you flexed the upside on the on the costs. You gave a nice range for optimization on the on the recoveries. What was it? You could put 76, 67 and a half up to 77 and a half. That's right. So, yeah. you know, you gave yourself some wiggle room there. Again, conservatively taking a, um, a kind of a lower recovery at, at points, but also giving yourself a bit of wiggle room for optimization. And um, similarly on the copper, on the on the payability and on the metal prices, and your top metal price was it went from three dollars to four twenty on those on that range. Yeah, I um, really, really, I think that's an excellent bit of work. Um, Thank you. And I, I like the fact that the NPV didn't change. Was the 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 P ninety valuation came out at a um, billion dollars, and the IRR came down a bit to thirty four percent, but it's still very very healthy. 
Yeah. So, and that's, you know, I was trying to, we were trying to demonstrate that uh, the P90 is, you know, very important. So, you know, people can pick out individual assumptions, but here it is, all of them, statistics, you know, take it as you will. I think it's an, another layer of information that people can work with. Did, you, did any of your clients previously want to see a Monte Carlo simulation when you're working for S&T Lavin <laughs> or, or subsequently? Yeah, when I worked for SNC Lavalin, uh, one client did. We we my boss was like, hey, we should see if they'd be interested in this. I presented it to their executives and they were like, I don't this looks interesting. I don't really understand it. <laughs> I understand DCF and I understand IRR. So, you know, I do think it needs to become a tool that's more commonly used. It's invaluable for decision making uh, processes. And, you know, this is, you know, we, this is the type of company that we are as well, that we want to be uh, using those types of tools. So when I was an analyst at HSBC, I introduced some probabilistic modeling and I was just like people that said no. Just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you what? I didn't yeah. take it too far and I didn't start playing with weird distributions of the probabilities of the input assumptions, right? I was just, that's why they're all straight in the middle, upside, downside potential with reasonable probability distribution curves. So, yeah, no. Um, so, uh, when did, I did my master's, what is it now, 25 years ago. And, um, I don't think I've seen anybody using Monte Carlo simulation since then. You have now. <laughs> I have now. No, and I and I, I salute it. And I, I I'm, thank I'm, you. <laughs> chapeau. Um, right now, on to um, we should. In the interest of time, we better move on to Zonia. Zonia. Um, let's park Cristal, the other asset. Um, well, let's just mention it really briefly. It's up in the north of Chile. You're going to be drilling five or six holes this year, um, and putting in a million dollars. Is that yeah, more the, aim, for the aim is actually more like two to three holes. And the intent there is to get them into what we consider a donut shaped or call a donut shaped anomaly. But to do that, we have to go through about five or 600 meters of cover. And this is why we largely believe that this deposit has not been explored or discovered previously. Uh, there's been no drilling on the, at all on the property we have, and you can't do surface sampling work, of course, since it's we believe it's covered. So it'll be a small program just to test out the mineralization in that donut-shaped anomaly. And, you know, uh, for a small program of a million bucks, it's worth a shot. Uh, it's a high reward, low risk program for us, um, but certainly uh, gives the market a little bit of that blue sky flavor that everybody craves these days as well. Okay, thank you. Crystal covered on Pazonia. Yeah, or, certainly. Is it Zonia or Zonia? Zonia. Uh, that's how I call it. Yeah. So yeah. do you want me to explain it? Zonia. Wasn't she a warrior princess? Or was that? Um, I know that was Zenia. I think it was. Um, Zena. Yeah. Zena. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Please, please explain your warrior yeah. princess to me. Yeah. So Zonia is a brownfield asset in Arizona. Last in productions in production in the 60s and 70s. Uh, a lot of juniors have tried to get it started along the way. I largely think that you know we've never really had a sustained four-dollar copper price environment, uh, which you know many analysts, certainly a large portion of the market, are now tending to favor us being in this environment for the near future and most likely into the long term as well. Uh, at a $4 price target, uh, at least, this is a, a very attractive asset. Uh, it's a copper porphyry system as well, 50,000 meters of drilling done on it. 
a PEA from 2014. The PEA economics were at uh, $3 copper, 198 million initial capital, about a $200 million after-tax NPV. At $4 copper, it's a $450 million after-tax NPV, $150 million after-tax first-year free cash flow. It's payback in a little bit over a year at $4 copper. It sits on private patented land in Arizona, which allows for an accelerated and aggressive permitting timeline that doesn't require an environmental impact statement or the involvement of the US EPA in a coordinated, ma coordinated manner. It's mostly going to separate permitting agencies and getting one-off permits. So we believe we can permit it in three to four years and catch the highs that we all expect in the near future for copper prices. And that's our goal right now. So since we picked it up two months ago and it's now finally in our portfolio, I've got our geologists like John assessing the data, making sure that it's accurate, You know, doing the desktop reviews. We'll do a resource statement update uh, to move in some mineralization that was not included in the last resource update. And then... Uh, you know, Bennett, see what the new higher copper prices do for cutoff grades, and then we'll do a PEA update and a strategic assessment of the next steps. Sorry for the long-winded. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. That's it's important. It's it's kind of information sharing. Again, kind of low grade. It kind of worries me. 0.3 percent yeah. copper. Um, I see that you've got kind of geological areas which are untested. You've got anomalies that you want to look at. Um, John, what's the you know what's what's the potential here? What's the you know is there any way that you can get that grade up a bit? Is there anything you, any way you can f find some high grade um, bits? Have they have they misunderstood the geology, um, or does it not really matter because of something you're about to tell me? <laughs> well, I've been working on this for <clears throat> probably seven years now because it originally I was with Cardero, you know, before Cardero was uh, uh, taken in with uh, World Copper. So I've been working on this project basically since since its inception in, in Cardero, mm -hmm. brought it off Redstone. Anyways, been there several times. It's an interesting, kind of very interesting property in that it, there's not many of these in Arizona where there's a basically a, 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 a resource is sitting that hasn't been hasn't been uh, taken advantage of. Uh, it's um, in terms of grade, you have to understand that almost every copper oxide project in the world is about this. This is just what mother nature deals you when you take a, a porphyry copper deposit and 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 enrich it and, and, and oxidize it, you know the the midpoint threes maybe up to point four and stuff. That's about you can look at almost every copper oxide deposit in the world, and that's about the grade they sit at. With you know there are some exceptions out there, but in terms of copper oxide, when you know acid soluble copper, not just like the higher grade uh, uh, calcocyte deposits, but the the true copper oxide deposit, that's just about what you get. All the all the big deposits in southern Peru are like that. And, and even in Arizona, the copper oxide project in Arizona, this is just the kind of the grade. So the grade didn't really, to me, it's just, it's uh, in terms of the grade was was fine. I was happy with that. It has fabulous metallurgy. There's very, it's one of the lowest acid consumption projects out there. Um, it's been pre-stripped by the previous, in the, in the early seventies, they tried to do some, some in-situ leaching and they, and they had some, they had three heat, heat leach pads and stuff. So there you can see, yeah, and I'll just put it on the screen there. So you basically have a deposit that was, that, that a, a mine that was started up and pre-stripped for you and just sitting there now and just gone into sleep mode for all these years because of the price of copper and whatnot. It's had an odd history of ownership, private ownership and stuff, just mismanagement. Um, and so now it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't get any easier in terms of just a startup. Uh, when we, when we took the, the Redstone did a good job of kind of uh, putting the, a large claim block together. Yeah. Lon, if you could just stay here for a second, 
so if you look at the where the the southwest portion of the map, that's the initial area that's been drilled off. All those black dots are all the drilling, right? So it's been drilled yeah. in many campaigns over the last 40, 50 years. So it's a well-defined resource now. It's had several pre-feasibility and feasibility studies done by half a dozen different companies, large U.S. companies. Um, and again, it was it was always just a little bit shy in terms of size and grade and stuff for the larger companies. So they just kind of would do it and just kind of, you know, and they'd walk away. They, they they didn't they didn't push on with it. Right now, the the in terms of in terms of the size, it's been bottlenecked by because trying to keep the permitting minimal, we. Uh, we, we kind of snipped the resource off so that the heap leach pad would fit on the private land. So those, those resource numbers that Nolan just spoke about, they're kind of, they're, 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 they've been artificially limited by, by the, uh, by the, by the uh, available surface area to put the heap leach on. Okay. The Redstone mm -hmm. did a kind of a, a more global resource estimate with a large pit that took in all the oxidized mineralization and you get upwards of, it, it, it's more like 150, 160 million tons. Um, and, of, and the PEA is a hundred yeah. million tons. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a bigger deposit than it looked. Anyway. And then one of the first things we did when, when we had the project then is I realized that there hadn't been any really coherent corner to corner exploration done. So we, we did a, a 200 meter space uh, geochem grid over the entire property. We also acquired the silver queen claims off to the Southeast, the, those green claims on the Southeast. Yes. We also acquired those. Because we had an old mag map from down there that seemed to show that maybe the only half the uh, the porphyry was exposed and the other half was was on the on the Silver Queen property, uh, so we also did the geochem on that and and did some more geophysics and that that idea kind of went out the window it didn't didn't turn out but what we ended up with was this nice northeast anomaly, uh, which is uh, a molly a molly high a copper high and then really importantly it's a zinc low, so the zinc low shows that there's a that there was a coherent uh, uh, large system operating up there, which 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 uh, this is the hallmark of a porphyry deposit. And uh, previously, you can see there's there's a bunch of little workings. Other other people had gone in there, had looked at some of the orogenic uh, quartz veins and stuff, looking for gold. And there's some, some high grade copper workings and some scarring up there, but no one had really put together any kind of a, a cohesive <coughs> sampling thing to to delineate like a porphyry deposit. So yeah. now we have this untested anomaly that's three three uh, you know. If you do a back of the envelope, it's like probably in the area of three to 500 million tons. So twice the size of the, of the zoning deposit in terms of what it can have and, uh, and uh, no drilling in it. So that's, our, that's kind of our first exploration. Uh, and is it, is it, has it got the kind of the Arizona classic kind of um, gravel cover or is it? Um... No, it doesn't. It's no cover. Only at the very sea. If you look at the careful at the north edge of that map, you'll see it in gray uh, oh, post-mineral cover. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it looks like about half of it is, or maybe let's say a third of it, the northern third might be, might go underneath the uh, conglomerate and basalt, uh, some really young units, but the uh, two thirds of it, if, if not, uh, you know, at least two thirds are, are exposed. And, and uh, I mean, yeah, you can, you can walk along the surface there and see copper oxides and there's, there's lots of little showings and stuff. It's, a, it's, a, it's as good a target as you can get in Arizona for in terms of yeah. test it. just you don't you just don't see this i've reviewed so many projects in arizona and you just the the, the, the one of the big questions here is it, it's kind of an oddball in that the rocks that it's in are pre-cambrian they're quite foliated and so for years well anyway since the 70s anyways this this deposit was thought of as a vms deposit even though there aren't any massive sulfides anywhere there's some, two, some high grade zones in the old mine workings but they were mostly going after like uh high grade calcocyte along structures so it, it, there's no real 
and, and the rocks are all plutonic too. They're not even volcanic. So it's kind of odd that, that, that some other geologists interpret it as a VMS. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the biggest question right now, and what seemed to get some people interested, whether it's a Laramide age or not. I don't know if you're familiar with, in Arizona, all the deposits, the big ones are all Laramide age. Um, and uh, it, it still could be, it could be a Laramide age uh, mineralization uh, overprinting on these older Precambrian rocks and textures and stuff. It's really hard to tell. It's been so super gene enriched and, uh, and weathered that it's, it's really hard to know uh, the age of the mineralization. We, we have to go in there and date the, the molybdenum to, to be sure either way. My uh, little strat column I got on the side there doesn't pick up the Laramide subset of the Archean <laughs> or the pre the, the Precambrian. That's what I was no, just checking. No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry, Laramide is, is young. Yeah, it's tertiary. Oh, it, oh okay. Yeah. Oh, it was in the mineralization. So the it's rocks in, are the rocks are Precambrian. The mineralization is um, tertiary. Yeah, in the in the, in the Laramide's kind of sixty million years something there, sixty two. It, you uh, won't be on a time scale. It's kind of an it's it's a term that's used mostly just in the Southwest U.S. Yeah. No. No. It's not on my. It's not on it's my British. Old, or my it's, it's not on my. U- <laughs> No, it will not La- be in your British thing. <laughs> the Laramide orogeny. But we don't use the word tertiary anymore either, of course, right? So, <laughs> um, uh, it's, 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 an acad- it's, it's an academic point. Yeah, it's an academic okay. point. Yeah. You, you got to go with, if it, you know, one way or another, I don't really care what age it is, as long as it's copper there, right? So we'll, we'll find <laughs> exactly. out. But for, for some people, they get really excited. They want, If it's Laramide, they think there's going to be a deposit there. And if it's not, you know, it, it's amazing. So, um, John, could you just describe kind of um, in... in if I drill the hole in the center of your um, of the main deposit there at Zonia, um, what would I be intersecting, and how far would I go down in oxide before I hit uh, low grade um, fresh sulfides? Uh, you'd go down about two hundred to two hundred fifty meters. It, it 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 it's deeper in the northeast end, and it shallows up towards the southwest end. Southwest end, you hundred meters, you'd be into sulfides. Northwest end, you're about two fifty three hundred meters to, to sulfides. And, and it's, all, it's, it's almost the same as you saw it. It's, it's all chrysocolla. Mostly crystallized, okay. tenorite, the copper wad, that kind of same stuff. Again, you see and, a little azurite, right? The transition to calcite, but very little true enrichment. It goes from oxidized to, to primary very quickly. The um, enriched mineral, where you get just calcite on primary sulfides, is thin on the order of tens, ten, maybe 10, 20 meters maximum. Very little. Would you look at it as an, as an ISR? I mean, if you said that there's no. Um... There's no carbonates. If it's a fractured uh, Precambrian intrusive rock, you've got Cressicola. It seems as if it's a perfect candidate for for in situ recovery. No, 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 never do in situ recovery. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't even say those words. There's no there's no point. This thing's ready yeah. to be pre-stripped. You take it out, you put it in a heap leach, and you get all the copper out. It's, it's fine. Yeah. It's very. That, it, has, it has one of those lowest. Uh, uh, yeah, one of the lowest. Uh, so, um, sorry, acid consumption I've seen. Just the, just the, you don't. It doesn't get any better than Zonia. Because it's just all intrusive hosted. Just because it's unreactive, intrusive. Yeah. Yeah. Calcilicus and felsic, felsic mm. intrusives. Yeah. They say porphyries and, and granite. Yeah. Um, and why are you so allergic to ISR? Because you've had bad experiences or because you, there's no need to do it here? There's or no need to do it here. And well, both. <laughs> <laughs> Give me an example of when that works. If you have any knowledge of. Porphyry in situ leach works for stuff like you know uranium and whatnot, but I want to get on a, on a side side note here. But for porphyry deposits are are notorious for being in in super fractured, faulted units and stuff. And in, in yeah. try to put water down there and recover it, it's just a disaster. I mean, I can't yeah. imagine every every portion. The reason they're porphyry is because they're in, in in just blasted rock. That's how the mineralization got there to begin with. So it started with with quite you know 
fractured rock and it, it just gets worse from there. Every unit that comes in fractures it more and more. So they're, yeah. Enough said. John, John <laughs> enough said, enough said. Um, um, Nolan, John, thank you so much. Um, we've been talking for whatever it is, 45 minutes, um, 40 minutes. I've learned a huge amount about both your projects. Um, I trust that this is going to go on and the viewers are going to get the same educational process, which is the whole point of doing this. Thank you very much. Have, uh, Nolan, is, is there stuff that you want to tell me about that we haven't covered? Um, I'm not talking about your deepest, darkest secrets, but something about the company. <laughs> <laughs> no, of a, of a technical nature, not really. Um, you know, just I would just say that, you know, take a really good look at what we've got going on at World Copper. We've got the right management team. We've got the right expertise, such as gentlemen like John. Uh, and we know what we need to do uh, to develop our assets. Uh, you know, we have also people like Marcelo Watt, who's the former CEO of Antifagasta for eight years. Uh, he knows how to develop, develop and build assets in Chile for Escalonis. Um, it's, it's really the, the story that we're building here with World Copper is very exciting. And I'd say that both of these assets, each of them on their own, could be a company builder for any other junior. And we happen to have two of them with the right team in place. It's really worth people's attention to take a look at what we've done with, uh, with the small, small amount of time we've been given and what we're going to do over the next few years. Well, great. Thank you. On that note, um, why don't we leave it there? Actually, before we do that, can you just talk me through the kind of quarter by quarter what you're expecting in terms of kind of the, yeah. the main news flow just just to give me a kind of a, something to come back to next time so i remember what um you're, you you said you're going sure. to be doing this year so we are in the process of mining uh sorry drilling escalonis uh so we will be expecting to get results from that back in late q2 early q3 we also expect to have the surface sampling results from rio negro in the next couple months and then uh, we will start permitting, as I mentioned, for Rio Negro. So some of that news may be coming out, uh, successfully getting those at some point. And then Zonia, we will be starting drilling there this summer. Uh, so start to see news from that in the late fall. Uh, and then also Cristal is at a lower elevation in Chile, so we can drill there in the Chilean winter. We aim to get something up there in our late summer in North America and Europe. And that would also give us results for the fall. So steady news flow. And that's not even including all the corporate development activities. You know, we expect to be uplisted uh, from the OTC to the OTCQX very soon. As well, we expect to be off the TSX venture very soon. Uh, we're in the process of these activities. So, you know, plenty of growth on both fronts. We know what it takes to build a company. It takes assets and it takes uh, the corporate development activities that we're going to be doing as well. So lots of news uh, coming on many different angles. Keep your eyes pe peeled. I, I will keep my eyes peeled. For me, the things I'm most interested in are the Escalonis drilling and the Zonia drilling. Yes. Um, John, over to you for the, for the drill results. I um, will hold your toes to the fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, but gentlemen, thank you in all seriousness. Thank, thank you. you very much. It's been a, um, a, a great interest and I look forward to hearing from you in the future. Great. Thanks, Thanks Ron.